episode, we sit down to discuss Riding the Waves of Change, which is a chapter in Elena Aguilar's book, Onward, Cultivating Emotional Resilience and Educators. This book is so timely and the chapter is no different as it addresses feelings about change, how to deal with it when it's unwanted, the secret to leading the change, and how to have patience and perseverance through it all. Take a listen now. Welcome back to Conversations. I'm your host, Monica Schallenberger, and I'm here with my co-host and guest today from our professional learning team. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. I'm Carrie Douglas. I'm Sam Zavala. And we already started recording this episode, and I'm just going to be transparent that we are re-recording because I didn't have the microphone plugged in. So we are on a roll, ladies and gentlemen. So welcome back to us specifically. So Today, we're going to be talking about our Onward series from the book Onward, Emotional, Cultivating Emotional Resilience and Educators by Elena Aguilar. We are in Chapter 11, which is about the month of April and the life of an educator, but can be applied to anybody in any profession. So the chapter is called Riding the Waves of Change, and it's talking about how to respond to change in a healthy way for your sanity. And so in this chapter, she really talks about how like change isn't going anywhere. It's here to stay. And that's obvious. You've been through any life cycles, especially in 2020, everything's changing. Uh, it's the only constant in our life and profession, no matter what profession you're in. She talks about how resilient people can accept the change is the norm and believe that they can exert great influence over the events in their lives, no matter what change is present. So in thinking about that content, what was a time that either personally or professionally for both of you or either of you, that there was a change in your life that you initially resisted, but later you saw the benefits and accepted it into your life? So when I first started teaching, I was teaching second grade, self-contained, um, and I loved it. I got to teach all the subjects to all the kids. I had really strong relationships with them, being you know their only teacher for the day, besides you know the specials, PE, art, those kind of things. Um, and after a couple of years, my principal told me that I had to stop being self-contained and take on a partner teacher, and we would be splitting the content and having two classes that would switch in the middle of the day. Um, that way and I was not happy about it. I didn't want that change. I felt like I had just hit a groove and that I was really um, making great gains with my kids and I knew what I was teaching and I enjoyed teaching all of the subjects. Um, and like I said, we got to build some really strong uh, relationships with those kiddos each year. Uh, so I kind of resisted it and um, had some conversations where I, I didn't think it was a good idea um, at first, but I ended up embracing it. Um, I had a good partner teacher and I really started enjoying uh, being able to, to hone my crafts and being able to just focus on half of the content that I taught before. I was able to do um, better things, I think, and grow quicker um, with less to worry about, less to teach. Um, it was also less emotionally draining um, because you, know, you have some of those kids for six hours a day and if they're having a bad day, that can be a long time to spend with somebody. <laughs> so um, knowing that, you know, I had less time with them, even though that was, you know, a, a sad thing at one point, but also um, it was helpful to me to be able to keep my energy up um, 
as the day went on. And it was really great to have that partner talk um, about the kids and say, hey, I noticed, you know, Johnny's acting like this in my class. Is he doing it in your class? And like just being able to have that collaboration, um, it really turned out to be a much better thing than I had originally thought. Um, but I did kind of, at the first couple weeks, um, probably wasn't the best for her because <laughs> um, I was resisting it. So I do, if you look back at the reading chapter and, and think I could have handled that better if I had some of this information and um, just kind of followed some of the advice that, that she had in the chapter. But it did end up being a really good thing for, for me and my career. Thank you for sharing. That's very good, Melody. Appreciate that. I Same. think uh, my story uh, kind of mirrors yours with the exception of I was uh, hired on in the middle of the year uh, in the start of my teaching career, given the students who were failing um, everything in December. And it was the last year of the tax test, so that was fun. But then I was hired under the title of Title I teacher, which come to find out meant I was going to go wherever I needed to go for the highest need. So after my initial start with third grade self-contained, I was told in May, since you're a Title I teacher, we're going to put you as the fourth grade writing teacher next year for our new STAR grade level, because STAR was happening the following year. So I was terrified. And I was like, okay. And so and after my fourth grade year, there was a, a pocket of children in first grade um, that were having some issues. And then I went from third to fourth to first. And during those whole time, I knew that I, I knew that I would always have a job because I was in a 100% Title I school. So that wasn't the issue. But I was really not loving the fact that at any given moment, everything that I was starting to get the hang of would be ripped right out from under me. And um, even though that was like three years, it felt like I had been teaching for 10 years in that three-year span because there was such a huge learning curve coming from a teacher who had just graduated to learning all these different things. And yes, I am a generalist, but I think we all know like those first three years of teaching are so important to make sure that you're getting your feet underneath you. And it was just constantly changing. I hated it. But looking back, that those years of experience really stretched me as an educator to let me know that I could deal with it. And I ended up enjoying each grade level, which was ironic. But being able to, even though I didn't like the change, I was able to adapt to it and still make a difference in it. And so I I'm very appreciative of that experience now because now when change happens, I'm like, okay, this has happened before. It's going to hurt a little bit for a little, a little while, but you can do it. So I, you know, that's kind of how I reflect upon it as well now that kind of like Carrie had mentioned, had I known how to deal with it and not like cry, because I cried each time I had to change because it, it felt like it was life altering. But um, I probably could have handled it a lot better if I would have, you know, um, had something like this in place uh, yeah. coming into the profession for sure. Well, and I think it's important too that like, I don't know if there's ever any explicit teaching, maybe from parents, but in general, when you're growing up of like, you just hear a lot of like cliche, like change is hard, it's gonna happen. Like no one's like, hey, when change happens, it's important to focus on A, what am I learning? B, where am I where am I growing and stretching my flexibility in life and see how this is gonna help me in the future. So I just think that's good with these, this reflective question is like, 
now when change happens. And unfortunately, like none of us are spring chickens anymore, but like that information would have been really helpful. I mean, it's not me, but like um, <laughs> that would have been really helpful out of college, you know, like, yes. listen, let me tell you what your professions are going to be like. I mean, life in general, but I don't know. I yeah. think that would have been something to point out. So dealing with unwanted change is obviously difficult for like anybody. You know, there's very few people out there in the world that just kind of go along with the punches and like, oh, cool, another punch. But the author gives us some examples of how to deal with that in our professional life specifically. She says to slow down, evaluate and analyze the situation and use your energy where it counts and be open to the outcomes. And for me, evaluating and analyzing the situation kind of spoke to me the most. Um, what's worked for me the best? I mean, I say the best in quotation marks because my mind is like a hamster wheel, but when change happens, the first thing I'm trying to do is like assess the risk, reassess like what we can do, what are the pitfalls, like what can happen, um, assess my mentality and modeling too, because as leaders, like we can't be freaking out every time something happens or the people that we serve are gonna be freaking out and then everybody's freaking out. And I just picture the, what is it, a cartoon or like a picture where everyone's running around like, and there's a fire and like the hands are in the air, like that, shit, that stresses me out more. And I know that people can't be effective in those working so I think it's good to be authentic as leaders, but not to be freaking out because there's no reason to do that. And I read in Todd Whitaker's 18 things principles you differently once that he said administrators on campus shouldn't run towards fights because then everyone like thinks like, Oh my gosh, there's a fight. People are running. And I'll never forget one time as an administrator on campus, there was a fight and a bunch of the administrative assistants were like sprinting and screaming and they were like, being super dramatic, which is fine. That was our natural reaction, but I'll never forget thinking back to that book expert. And I'm like, he's right. Like this is creating more chaos and a visible chaotic situation. And if they, now there's a time place, sometimes you have to run because of a safety issue. But the point is evaluating and analyzing it through these questions. And she does offer questions in the chapter that I thought were really helpful is what I'm drawn to. What are you guys drawn to out of the slow down, evaluate and analyze situation and using energy where it counts and open out. I would say that evaluate and analyze the situation also spoke to me as well because um, I, if you know, with my adrenaline, I'm usually um, leaning towards fight. So <laughs> I try not to do that yeah. as much. But I feel like, um, you know, instead of reacting so quickly, especially after I learned that that didn't help to begin with, um, thinking and really looking at the situation from both sides has really helped me kind of accept like, okay, this is what's happening. And just like, obviously you don't like it, but this is why it's happening. So either it's, it was something that had to happen due to, it was just something that was long overdue or something was happening and I may not have agreed with it, but I needed to figure out how to jump on the bus or get off the bus and figure out what was gonna work um, in my response to the situation. So just thinking and having that evaluative and analytical side, I think really helped me along the way as I grew in the my career, especially because there's so many changes that happen so often. It's like, I can choose to freak out every time or I can look at the situation, look at whoever's making the decision, look at me, how's it gonna affect this? If I can't do anything about it, I need to figure out how I can work with it and cooperate or if this is something that is just against my educational philosophy, I need to remove myself from it and go elsewhere. 
So the one that kind of spoke to me was the user energy where it counts. Um, I read the line that says, time is finite and our energy is limited. And I just, that really spoke to me um, right now in my life. And she talks about how if we can manage our energy so as to, to maximize it, we can refuel our energy, but in the end, there's only so much time in the day and you only get so much energy to spend. So if you're spending your time and energy worrying about this change, being upset about the change, denying it, resisting it, um, taking it personally, then you're, I mean, you're basically wasting, wasting your time and wasting your energy when you could be using it in a more positive way. Um, and she comes back to the idea and asks um, the question, what is it that really matters? So like when this change is happening, you're feeling like um, it's a personal threat or it's something that you can't handle. She reminds us to kind of like take a step back and, and really look at yourself and, and know yourself and ask yourself like, what is it that really matters to me? Like if I'm going to fight for this or if I'm going to resist this change or if I'm going to go along with it, like what is it that, that I need to know and I need to focus on and spend my energy on to make it productive. So that was the one that kind of spoke to me right now in my life. Yeah, that's that's great. A great point. Well, and I think as leaders in any field, we're asked sometimes to lead change that we may or may not be wanted by our colleagues, which is always one of the more interesting parts of leadership and leadership development. It's like, how do you deliver the news that someone else is giving you or the information someone else is giving you? And sometimes it's bad news and you cannot walk around saying, oh, well, so-and-so told me to tell you this. Or in our case, you know, on campuses, the district said to do this. It's like, when you're the leader, you have to own that information too. And it's not always comfortable because you're not always delivering information you might agree with or think uh, people are gonna be happy with. But I love that she brings this up because it's something that everyone could refine, even to your kids. Like if you're on a team, and everyone decided on Tuesdays with Morrow or Morrow with Tuesday, whatever that book was my, when I taught English too. And I hated that book. It was so depressing, but I had to sell it to my kids. Or we're all going to walk in every day while this whole unit's happening, being depressed about this book that like stinks. So, whoa, <laughs> need some counseling on that one. Gosh, I just, that book was so stressful, but she does suggest that when you do have to deliver news or information or be a part of something that someone else asked you to do to the people that you serve, she says, we should deal with the fear of those we are asking to change. Remember that change is about learning and to be and to be sure to understand the backfire effect. And um, when I think of like which one stands out to me as a technique that I could use in the future to help lead effective change or currently lead, I, I think feel like all of them really are important. I mean, it's a lot easier on this team. There's only four of us. So, you know, we have a pretty personal, in my opinion, culture. So it's easier to have those conversations around the why. But when you think about leading large teams, you know, it's just to remember that when when you introduce change, there's almost always that fear. And I think a lot of times that part's forgotten, uh, especially once that change has been implemented for a while, people start to get irritated. Like, why can't they just do this? Or why are they not on board? And it's like, you have to remember the human nature of it. Like you're asking people to change it. And I like the example she brought up in here about how she like came in guns blazing about an instructional strategy or something she wanted to implement. And then at the crux of it, when it wasn't being implemented and it was not working, she got down to like, oh, I'm asking these teachers to change everything they've been doing. And the fear is that they won't be good at it. And I was like, so good that she calls that out. She has the humility of that example. So like 
which ones, or if y'all pick the other two, remembering the changes about learning or be understanding about the backfire effect. I don't know which ones um, really reach, really uh, stand out to you. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in because I think the backfire effect kind of plays off that. Like when people are afraid, they kind of put up walls, they resist. Um, and I, I never really, I never really thought about that sometimes when we are introducing a new initiative or bringing up change in a big group, especially on a campus, that some people may see that as you're asking them to change their identity mm -hmm. as a teacher. Yeah. Or like as some kind of social identity that they've been like brought up to believe mm -hmm. and have like poor background beliefs um, in it. And I love the I love the example about the principal, like kind of like you were saying, like who did all this research, put this great presentation together, had this super awesome idea about a new behavior um, management system. He saw that. Too many kids at his school were getting written up, they were being sent out of class, they were missing, you know, content. So he was like, I'm gonna change this and have this really great plan. But the way he presented it was basically they, they all they, it, it backfired. Like that's that's the the name of the the effect. And that they all resisted and they said things like, Oh, you're asking me to lower my expectations for students. You should praise me when I send students out. I'm holding them to their code of contact. Like he was actually, they felt like it was like a personal affront to their core values because he was asking them to change something. And um, she says, you know, that was a principle that she coached, and it took him a long time to kind of get that relationship back and build those bridges back. But um, eventually, he was able to do that. And she kind of offers some advice for leaders going into that. Um, she says it create opportunities for teachers to reflect on why they do what they do, humanize the need for change, set up structures for listening, talk about and normalize emotions, especially fear, going back to that, and then collectively envision new realities. So um, I thought those were really helpful ideas because as leaders, sometimes like I, as a department chair, like instructional officer, I would find something that I really wanted to take back to the team and like kind of go in, like you said, guns blazing and I was kind of asking them to, to drop a piece of themselves as a teacher and add this new initiative or this new idea without honoring the fact that they may be scared about it. They may think they won't be good at it. Um, not talking about their feelings about it, not letting them uh, reflect on why this is something that could replace, you know, a previous behavior, a previous practice. So uh, that was, I thought that part was pretty powerful just to kind of keep that in mind as leaders. Like, we can't just, we have to frame things and we have to really be thoughtful about asking people to change. Well, she's talking about adults. Like, we have, you can apply this with your, and not yeah. can apply. You should be applying this in your classroom if you're a teacher, if you're implementing change. Like, I think that sometimes kid, kids or students that we're teaching or we used to teach in our specific cases, I would just like expect them to like move along with it. It's like if adults are needing that, massaging up a process to get through a change just think about how kids are who have weight not to like diminish their de their development skill but like they have a brain that isn't fully developed and we're asking them to sometimes change an entire way they wrote a paper from the teacher before them or hey y'all covid like these are all the COVID protocols so just think about like all the different things that we have introduced just in this last year to both kids and adults pandemic related that hits on what you're talking about like how people were raised 
the political vote. I mean, there's so much an exhaustion of complexities of what's involved when change happens. And so I think that's really important. And then I think something else I was going to say when you were talking was when you're saying like sometimes that fear is tied to so many different things, but it can be as deep as like the way someone was raised. It can be over something that seems minuscule to you. That guy probably thought, I'm going to be put in a behavior management system in my school. We'll be helping everyone. I'm going to be so thrilled. And who knows if somebody had, and you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, some, has some very strong feelings about behavior management systems because maybe they have had trauma in their backgrounds, et cetera. And so it's like, it's exhausting as a leader to have to think about all the different perspectives, but we do owe the people that we are introducing that change to that patience as we move through it. doesn't say, it doesn't mean you don't do the change, but yeah. certainly means you better talk about how it's, going to be received as a part of the communication plan. Yeah. And I think it's something else, last thing, empathy maps would be really good for a communication plan. So like, hey y'all, we're gonna do it on social media, all the things, and then by the way, let's walk through the different roles of who's receiving this information and how it could be received. So we can make sure there's so much clarity, so much room for space for processing, et cetera. And I think that could be, that's something that we haven't done on every single thing, but I mean, luckily for us, most of our stuff is fun. Yeah. We don't have a ton of change for <laughs> professional learning, but um, I just think those are really good points, Carrie. Go ahead, Sam. Um, I would also say the backfire effect, but I, you know, I was kind of thinking of how, like, when I served on as an instructional specialist and like a teacher leader on uh, leadership teams, and how admin would say, "This is what we're going to be rolling out," and uh, in knowing that this was a flaw in myself, I'm like, "I'm going to get the popcorn and watch the reaction." <laughs> and I think, you know, and that was my first contribution. And I know that's a flaw, and I'm working on it. But I think it's because of all the reality TV I watch. But I was like, I, I just can't wait to see the reaction, right. which is obviously the wrong response. But <laughs> now looking at it, I'm thinking like the backfire effect is also a good way. Like I think I always knew like if something was going to blow up, I'd be like, you know, these people, and I can almost pinpoint, are going to have an issue with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll support you and I'll be behind you 100%. I'm just letting you know that it's just expected. Like I would always tell like different leaders or different friends, you know, this is what's going to happen. Well, as I was like, I was like on mission almost. But um, <laughs> but the thing that also really resonated with me about the backfire effect is like you can almost do something like what we do, like um, how we do the um, reverse brainstorm. Like, oh, yeah. Everything that could go wrong, let's yeah. get it on the table. You're gonna say it anyways, it's so easy. let's go ahead and get it out. Yeah. Now that it's all out, how are we gonna move forward? Reverse brainstorm on the reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's immediately what came to mind. In addition to my, you know. Grab a popcorn, which I'm, you know, I'm gonna work on that. But Proud. <laughs> that is a, like I said, that's a flaw. But how I used to go into these things, because you know, like I said, change and education was always coming. So it's just like, okay, let's see who's gonna get mad now. I was like, who's gonna do this now? But actually taking that, you know, even the knowing that something's gonna happen, and then taking all the things like what that that principal was hearing, they could have reverse brainstorm that situation, like move forward from that instead of like. You know, going in and saying, I don't, I, I can't believe I got blindsided. Like, that's just a, how it played out in my mind. Like, you could totally take that and say, let's get everything out on the table right now, write it down, validate it, and let's see how we can make this work. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, those two things, real quick, yeah, no. I was thinking I'll say when talking. One is that, and this I may be like TV, but like, one of the norms that I, I always point out, and I just, love to put out there when I'm doing PE is to, I ask my participants like for the next hour or whatever, like I want you to please think how we can, not why we can't. Mm -hmm. 
and just like putting that out there and like acknowledging that like I understand there is so many reasons why you can't do some of these use some of these strategies or take this new information but while we're learning it like open your mind and frame it to like how could you use it like no it may not fit perfectly into your little you know square peg of a second grade math classroom but I bet you can tweak it a little or take this one part and then you could use it and I think just like talking to people about having that kind of attitude towards it and just being a little more open-minded in that growth mindset um, can help and also when she says um, create opportunities for teachers to reflect on why they do what they do I will never forget one of the principals I had um, kind of initiated some change and she told us this story about these um, this soldier who was in charge of guarding a bench like a yes. random bench guys I've heard this story like, it's so crazy funny. okay so the soldier is just like every day goes and like guards this bench and finally his captain is like what are you doing like I didn't assign this to you like why are you having this bench and he's like I don't know the guy before me like told me it was my job to guard the bench and then this is like, a true story yeah. it's not a made up story no yes. and he like went through the ranks and nobody could tell them why they were guarding the bench and they finally got to the bottom of it it was because there was wet paint at one point <laughs> on the bench and someone was assigned to watch it but nobody asked they were just told like here watch this bench and like you know they're in the military you're not really supposed to like question right. your your officer but it's like okay we, and then we talked about like what are the benches of teaching that you're guarding that Maybe because there's a fear of change, or fear yeah. of asking a question, yeah. or fear of yeah, maybe it's just like this is what I've always done, or this is what my team leader five years ago told me to do, so I just keep doing it. Like I don't know, so that that kind of made me think of that when I when I did this. Like, just like <laughs> why are we doing the things that we're doing? Not because <laughs> I'm comfortable, yeah. or because it's what's best for kids. Yeah, yeah. or you have a fear of the change. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I think this chapter would have been so good in like February. I mean, it's just all things we all talk about. I'm sure some of us go to church and hear it, or like people talk about it when they have change in our life, but it's like to think about the actual ways to change what you're doing during the change is really important for change. And how many times can you say change in a minute? All right, well, thank you guys so much for being on. And we have, um, what, two more, one, or I guess one more month because May, mm -hmm. but I, I, we'll probably do a June and July for Onward series too, so. Stay tuned and we'll uh, see y'all next time when we take our learning and transform the world. That conversation was reflective for all of us as we looked back on how change benefited us in the past, which techniques for dealing with unwanted change is the one we most connect with and how we can constantly refine our ability to adapt to the change that isn't stopping. We hope that you walk away with some tips and tricks to stay flexible in the change that happens in your profession and life. Here's to taking our learning and transforming the world.